Welcome in. Welcome into a special edition of the Talking Shop Football Pod. <laughs> We're recording here in late October. Uh, the way this has worked in weeks past is we've had my fantasy football opponent on to talk about our matchup, news of the league. Uh, we talked about the NFL games that are going on, etc. This week, our guest is Scott Tandoy. He's not officially in the league. He used to be in the league, but I'm excited to have Scott on because I just find his, his view of the role just so different and fascinating and unique. And I also want to ask him why he's not still in the league. And I think I know the reason, but we'll get into that with him. But uh, without further ado, let's welcome in Mr. Scott Tandoy. Damn, dude, that was uh, one of the nicest things ever been said about me. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, I intentionally did not ask you what this podcast was about at all because I didn't, I didn't want to know. But now you, right out of the gate, you just you you influenced the whole conversation. But uh, yeah, no, I I did hear about it a little bit, and I was like. Yeah, you should interview me because I'm the guy that got I'm the guy that got kicked out of the league, which is always a character in this like in this uh, in the group. Well, I'm excited to see where this conversation goes because I always leave a conversation with you feeling smarter and better informed, or at least thinking about the world in a different way than when I came in. That's good. That's good. I guess. Dang, like what have I been thinking about a lot lately? Like, what I don't know. Do anything in particular you want to talk about or? Oh, I've got a ton of stuff, man. Well, let's 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 zero in on fantasy football real quick. Yeah, get yeah. that out of the way. Yeah. So, I just want to go back a couple of years. What what got you kicked out of the league? What happened? I I neglect got me kicked out. I I remember the I think it was the first year we did it or the se- first or second year we did it. I actually did like super good. I remember. I think I got like second, and I was like mildly active. I've always found fantasy football kind of fascinating, to be honest with you. And I find it fascinating in the same way that I kind of find like casinos fascinating. For one, casinos should be illegal for sure. Like the fact that they're around is insane. But besides that, if you think about what's going on in a casino, it's like there's all of these games like like laid out everywhere. Because you walk in, you got card games, whatever. And in fact, the in fact the more complex a game gets, the worse off you are. Like if you so if in and every bit of complexity is just added in there to trick you away from approaching 50% odds, which is, which is, you get close to that in some games like craps and roulette or whatever. The more complex it is, the better the odds are. If you can play the complex game absolutely well, perfectly. That, that's my point. Exactly. That's my point. Exactly. Is the, the complexity is an illusion. The, the mm-hmm. simpler games, the simpler games you have better odds in. You think that oh, like slots or something. Yeah, you think that like, you know, in a roulette, it's like, you know, a little bit below 50 on uh, the craps. It's a little bit below 50 on the onset of the game. There are things you can do like during the more complex games that can improve your odds during the game itself. But on the onset of the game, those two games have the best odds. All the other games are worse. Every other little trick that's in the game is a trick to to pull you away from what your good odds were at the beginning of the game. It's all an illusion. It's all a facade. And I look at, <laughs> I look at um, fantasy football in kind of the same way, at least when I played it, which is like, they tell you what the best odds are. They're right there. You can see it. <laughs> there's a, there's the, you don't have to do any analysis. Like they have the, the, the predictions, if you will, or whatever, uh, for every mm-hmm. player. And you can sit there and you can play them. And, you know, if you did, I think it would often work out 
work out okay. But, you know, as we know, everybody knows it's ever played it. It's the times that you deviate away from that plan that totally goes awry. I, I really, I like that. Talking yourself out of making the obvious choice is like the biggest mistake you can make. No, no one's arguing that fantasy, fantasy football is less interesting than a casino. I think it's way more interesting. We all know the guy in, your, in the league, if he's still in it, that would stub, which would stub his toe the most. <laughs> Chris, yeah, yeah, he's still there. <laughs> Just making the worst decisions. Somehow, two, three games into the season has always decided he's going to lose the season. But I mean, I'm not even in it. So how can I talk? Right. So you would like to rejoin the league? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I talked to Matt, Matt about this the other day, and uh, I don't know. It seemed like I was out forever, man. It seemed like there was no way to get me back in. If you did get an invitation back, would you do anything differently? I'd probably pay attention more. I guess like the, the, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> don't come on yeah. here and lie. Don't come on here and lie. This is not the, the platform like, for that, Scott. Yeah, you do good for a few games, and then it's like that one, that one uh, busy Sunday you had, and everybody you exposed to the league that you, you're an asshole and you didn't update your, uh, you didn't update your waiver or your uh, bye week properly, and all of a sudden you got like nine guys on the field. <laughs> This is a football pod, so I'm going to ask you a football <laughs> NFL trivia question. I'm going to be exposed to not being a real man, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So in the past three seasons in the NFL, who has had the longest throw by aerial distance? So where it left his hand to where the receiver caught it. Name that quarterback, and then I'd love to just get your taste on like how far you think the distance was in feet. Dude, why do I think I saw this? Yeah, why do I I I want to say uh, like Russell Wilson, but that's so lame because I'm a Seattle. It's not Russell. Yeah, it's not Russell. Let me give you a, a hint. Yeah. Okay, he played in the Super Bowl last year. <laughs> You're exposing me, dude. I don't even <laughs> know the Super Bowl last year, dude. This is why he's on the league, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You're beating me up right now, man. Uh, <laughs> Who played in? The, I can't even remember who played in the Super Bowl last year. To be honest with you, here, why don't you guess how far he threw it? The number of feet that he threw it. Yeah, I want to say it's like way less than a football field. So it's probably like it's probably like two hundred feet, two hundred and twenty feet, two hundred and five point eight feet. Patrick Mahomes, twenty seventeen, threw a ball that far. How old is he? He's young. He's probably 25, 24, 25. So young, dude. God. He, he claims he can throw a ball 240 feet in the air, but uh, his farthest recorded throw and catch in, in an NFL game, 205.8 feet. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. What's the, um, next, what's the next question? <laughs> all right. I think that's enough football. I got some good questions here. I labored over these. Nice. 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 Yeah. I'll start you out with a simple one. So assume the hypothesis is that we're all living in a simulation. <laughs> how, would you te- how would you test that hypothesis? I think this is like a very interesting question. The best answer I've heard about this, um, I think is from a guy named George, Hol- George uh, Hotz. Do you know who that is? His name is, <laughs> his name is Geo Hot. is what his like geek name is. He runs uh, Comet AI. Basically, like the Android of autonomous vehicles. So, like if Tesla was to be like the like the Apple OS, he's trying to create like an open source um, 
open source code for autonomous cars. But he, he was like, famous for being a hacker when he was a young kid. One of the first people to um, hack, uh, I think it was like a Sony PlayStation, which was like an unbreakable device at the time. He did it with an iPhone. Oh. He's kind of become like notorious for that. Since he's grown up, he does more adult things like this. But he yeah. looked at it from like a very like hacker's perspective. Basically, which is, what it is, is like, if you believe that, you know, the simulation is inside of some like higher order simulation, or even if we're like, you know, uh, low level simulation like not that deep down like layer two from like the base reality then there would be like a connection between the two and uh, from like a physics-based approach and like we've all and then the question becomes well how would how would you if one lives within the other then they have to be connected on some physical level and uh you know what happens when like you have like too much computation happening on like a you know like your gaming pc or something like that and it becomes Mm -hmm. quite glitchy so the way that you would what his idea was is that the way what you would do is you would just set up uh, some kind of like really high density like computational scheme where if the computation was happening in our level of the simulation that energy would ultimately be, be pushed up to the top and if you did it you know dense enough and wrap in enough with enough energy then you would create some kind of like glitch like a like a overheating um or they might pull the plug on us because we're like a nuisance and are like their electric bill goes up too high and, <laughs> and i thought like that's a really interesting way to think about that problem but the true the true problem with that the theory though of, of the simulation theory the, the, the main problem with it, of course, is that it's like unfalsifiable, which makes it a religion. But what's more interesting about, I think that isn't covered enough about the simulation theory, is that it's, a, in my view, it's just a modern interpretation of a philosophical debate that's been going on for hundreds of years, which is like Descartes, like I think therefore I am. It's the ultimate incarnation of that. Um, Consciousness? The, the idea behind like, I think therefore I am like the way I understand it is like he was using, he used, was using like fire and shadows as like an analogy and thinking about um, humanity as like a very complicated shadow in a sense. And then you can all, you could always um, with ever increasing complexity, delusion becomes stronger and stronger. So how do you know, Hmm. how do you know uh, in the end, like what is real and what is not, I guess in, the way that philosophers view that argument is at the very root of that, the only thing you know in the end for certain is that you're thinking. That's it. You don't even know if okay. you are you. All you know is- You don't know if your decisions have consequences and if you're, if, if anyone else exists beside yourself. And in fact, you don't even know if you exist. Projection of you could just be an illusion itself. The one thing you're certain of, the only thing you're certain of is that there is thoughts. Like that's, that's it. So I view simulation theory as the modern version of that. This, this issue of like infinite illusion always comes up. And in the modern society, we have simulation theory, which is, which is this idea about infinite illusion. You don't know, there's no way to prove it because you can always move the, the, goal, the goalposts further. Um, and, and, and you get closer to proving whether you're in a simulation and then you can always just say, well, they were a little bit, a little bit clever, a little bit more clever. And then the simulation is a little bit more complex and you'll never, 
that's the infinite rabbit hole. You'll never be able to resolve that. I, I do. I do love this game plan that you've just opened my eyes to though, of trying to like with the other levels so much that it causes them to like pull the plug or causes a, uh, a disturbance that we can notice physically in our world. That's pretty cool. Totally. It's hack it. Just become a nuisance. <laughs> Just become a nuisance. Yeah. This is what hacking is. All right. I, I'm totally taking this from, from, uh, from a speech by somebody. I'm totally stealing the entire list, but I love this list. And there's like six or seven things here. And I want you to comment on how scared you are from like a level of one to 10 that this is the existential threat of our time. Epic. All right. <laughs> Wait, so you all, right. all seven of them put them in order or just kind of go one to 10? No, I'll just throw it at you and then you tell me how scared you are of that being the end reality. And and you could and go feel free to dive into any one of them. All right, so which existential threat most scares you? Threat number one, a singularity in which robots are going to kill all human beings. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I don't know if I'm that worried about that one, to be honest with you. There's definitely... I think that when you, when people talk about like the singularity and the death of humans, there there's far more scary scenarios of like than like robots becoming like uh, Terminator and then walking around with like guns and shooting people. That is like a very okay. Low... Yeah, let's leave that one the low. Okay, I like that. I mean, you uh, you know, greatest fall here for the listeners. Scott, you know, used to have um, coworkers that were robots, so he doesn't want to say anything too bad about them. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying that the the there's far more scarier. The, what I no no what I I think he kind of misunderstood what I was saying there. The what I meant by that was like when people say like the, you know the singularity occurs and then like robots take over. I think that there's like a very like Hollywood idea about what that is. Mm. But it, it yeah. like these robots that go around shooting people. But in reality, it's much more nuanced than that, and the way it would actually go down. I think um, you know, and it's and it's more it's more of this idea of like. Um, the, the the AI like recursively getting out of control, right? And, and yeah, when it when it becomes like self, always self improving and, and goal oriented simultaneously, then that goal, no matter how aligned initially was with humanity at the beginning, can become extremely invasive. Yeah, you could say like uh, you design like you know, the best paperclip manufacturing robot ever, and all it wants to do is make paperclips for humanity. But if that becomes recursive enough and powerful enough well then it's going to go to the moon and you know start turning the entire moon into a paperclip factory and then go to mars and do the same thing and then you look up and we'll actually try to just take over the entire universe and turn it into a giant paperclip factory and there's no way to stop it it has no use it has no use for us anymore as human beings it's just yeah we're we're useless to the ai and it's 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 it's, it's achieved exit velocity and we're still here it just leaves, it just kill, it kills us by accident, not even in, with conscious, like just, oh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, I mean, this is what we're doing to the environment. It's, it's not like we want to make things extinct. It just happens because we're, they can't get out of our way. Yeah. All right. Um, so that one doesn't scare you too much, but I really appreciate the, uh, the, the way that you took that. Number two, and this one is the idea of runaway biotechnology 
leading towards some new kind of disease that kills all of us. Yeah. Hmm. Let me think about that. So, so this would be a synthetic, like a synthetic virus or something that gets out. Yeah. Someone in South San Francisco is working on something. It gets out, you know, the whole, they're testing on a monkey. Some activists get in there, release the monkey 28 days later, sort of uh, feels this one. I know who you are. I know what you think you're doing. You don't want to get hurt. Keep your mouth shut and don't move a fucking muscle. The chimps are infected. They're, they're highly contagious. They've been given an inhibitor. Infected with what? In order to cure, you must first understand. Infected with what? Yeah, so I think, like, I think that I would say that, like, that would have the ability to, uh, you know, cause a lot of damage. But there's a difference between causing a lot of damage and wiping out all of humanity. Those are, those are two different steps for sure, especially something yeah. that's fundamentally like not conscious, right? With like the virus. So I could see that it would have like, you could, you could theoretically come up with something that would be like very, uh, very effective. The most effective way to do that would be like uh, highly lethal, but delayed, uh, delayed effect type virus. So you'd have something that would like have the ability to spread through like asymptomatic um, mechanisms throughout most of the earth and then you go from like 100% to like dead like within like a few hours um, got it but it takes a long time you're saying for the actual disease to take hold like it would be able to spread before we realize it existed yeah exactly that would be like I think a, if you wanted to design it to take out like most of the earth you would need to do that otherwise uh, there's like a two competing you know, the lethality of like a pathogen competes with its ability to spread. Like this is why like, mm. it's not um, you know, spread around the world because it's so lethal and so fast that you can stop it from spreading. Then other things that spread easily usually don't kill you that much. So, but if you were going to design something, you'd want to design it. Maybe it, it, it's a year. Maybe it goes and spreads the, around the whole thing, around the whole planet. planet. Everybody's and it sits in there like a ticking time bomb before it even has any. So that would be scary. Uh, if you had the ability to do that, that would be scary. But like a pathogen that rolls like a wave, I would not be as scared about. I, yeah, we'll put, we'll put that at like, we'll put that at like three, three out of 10. Okay. <laughs> what was the first one? What was the first one? On a, on a number scale? Did you give that one a number? Yeah, I go into control and killing all the humanity. I'm like low. I'm not like that worried about that either. I think it's about three. Maybe, yeah. All right. right, So uh, the next one, Um, some sort of runaway nanotechnology. So I believe this is called ecophagy. Is that right? Um, Which basically means self-replicating machines consume all biomass. Yeah. So this is kind of what I was getting into with the first one we talked about. Like these Mm -hmm. situations are far more terrifying for sure. The thing is like with all of these like super far reaching ideas like this, you don't, they're a little bit, in the same way that like simulation theory is which is like a little bit unfalsifiable like the so you say like nanotechnology that converts all of like the biomass into whatever those are like very hand wavy words without like having insight on like the mechanism that's doing that where it gets its energy from how it deals with like entropy itself it'd be very hard to you know buy into that idea i think but Let's say that there is like a tiny little thing 
that uh, you know somehow produces or collects the energy it needs to create the next version of itself in the environment. Yeah, it's like happening in like a even biomass is a little bit flaky because you know most things are made of carbon. So like, what is it using really? Like, is it is it converting carbon into whatever? That would actually be quite scary because like everything's made of carbon. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if you if you were able to invent that and it worked. That is that is very scary. Yeah, we would put that one like way up to the top. That's like a nine. Way up to the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. You'd have to concede that though. You'd have to you'd have to say that that's possible. Nine out of ten there from Scott. Um, these are big topics. So do a couple quick jokes here before we get to the last three. Here we go. Did you hear about the date that oxygen and potassium went on? No. It was okay. <laughs> I thought oxygen was dating magnesium. Between OMG. I think potassium. That's interesting. I think there's like a lot of irony in that. Actually, I'm not sure, but I think that oxygen and potassium are highly reactive. I think that explodes. Even better. There's another level to that joke. I think. I'm not sure. I'm gonna look that up later. I think so because you, you you see like this video that people put like potassium in water and it catches fire. Pretty sure. Yeah. All right. Let's get back into the heavy topics here. So. This one is sort of the Cold War end of the world scenario. So just all out nuclear war. Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think, I mean, I, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Uh, I think that uh, this, could, this ha- would have to be the only, I mean, it doesn't matter like what list you come up with. This is like the legitimate one. I think it has to be. Like, the, mm-hmm. the, the technology is there. And not only is it there, it's like locked and loaded. Again, extinction, though, is a heavy word. Yeah. The root of, like, saying that we're going to, like, make humanity extinct, I would say that that's, like, low. Um, but uh, the leftover radiation of an all-out nuclear war would eventually kill everyone on Earth, wouldn't it? Depends. I mean, depends on how... Yeah, I guess the fundamental question asked there would be, like, what is, like, the end of all... What is the difference between the end of all civilization... Like we're all going back to Stone Age, and the, in the, in the, in the, in what threat, like the n number of nukes it takes to do that, and what the threshold is to like create like this radiation problem that really would um, like sanitize the Earth and like from a radiation perspective. My sort of like my ad hoc knowledge to that is like radiation. I think obviously it's horrible, but it's a little bit overblown. In the sense that well, we're all going to have four legs and a tail and three eyes and like that's what I heard. What I mean by overblown in the sense that um, like you think about like radiation and like it, like it's like a density field, you know, it it, uh, it operates like the inverse square law. So like the you know the further you get away from the glass center, it's going to be like a, it's going to go down as a square. So it'd be what I'm saying is it'd be very hard to blanket the Earth in uninhabitable radiation. Unless you did it in um, like some kind of ad- atmospheric way, maybe. But but like by the time I'm not like an expert, obviously. But the but my feeling is from by the time you were able to the the difference between blanketing the Earth and uninhabitable radiation and destroying all humanity is very wide. I think I think that yeah, okay, destroying, destroying all humanity is uh, very easy. I think you only take like uh, twelve nukes. Not even. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So that one's extremely high up there too. And you have that ahead of the nanotechnology 
yeah, it, it's there. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, this whole nuke thing. Um, and because you know, I, I just w- listened to the, the podcast of like, uh, uh, Kanye, which I thought was really good. Kanye and Joe Rogan. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard this one yet. Okay. I'll get on that. Can discussion at the end of the conversation when it comes to this problem of like, the ultimate version of global, um, what do you call this, uh, foreign policy. And yeah. I think the ultimate, the ultimate version of foreign policy, I believe, is a deep understanding of this topic. And particularly, I think, for like our leaders, like if I was going to, I think that it should be a requirement for whoever is going to be the president of the United States to be a, uh, study deeply um, the firm, the Fermi paradox, which is the Fermi paradox is, um, inter- it's a Fermi paradox. He's a, he was a physicist like a few decades ago. And basically he uh, was the guy that started the conversation about like why we're alone in the universe. And when you, oh, okay. when you think about it in any like mathematical perspective, it doesn't make sense at all. Um, like the universe is super, and he actually came up with this equation that you can, ultimately it's a guess at this point because we don't know every variable, um, but it has, it's a string of variables that you multiply um, by one another and you come up with like the probability of life in the universe. And there's certain like really well-known parameters that we're filling in like um, the density of inhabitable planets, which is something that we're getting data really well. Yeah. There's a lot of other variables that we just have to take a guess at, uh, like wholehearted guess, like what is the probability that life, um, multicellular life goes from like single cell to multicell? Like we only have mm-hmm. things that. Anyways, most people think that it's kind of absurd that when you look up, we're, um, you know, possibly alone in the universe. Like it's a real possibility. I think there's a lot of people that most people and scientists, you know, they're asked when they're asked this question, they think that there's no chance um, that we're alone in the universe. But I'm not, I'm actually not in that camp. I think that there's a lot of data. Um, we've taken a lot of measurements in the universe, and if you think about it, with some of the data sets we have, it's quite striking how there's no signal at all that there had been life in the universe. But anyways, the the Fermi paradox attempts to explain why. Yeah. In, under, in understanding uh, the reasons why are called solutions to the Fermi paradox. Some, okay. of, some of them are super simple, like uh, we're the first ones, right? That's highly unlikely because the universe is old. 15 billion years old or something like that? 20 billion? What are they at now? What do they think now? 13.5, I think. Something. Yeah, not to get you off track. But, but the... Um, uh, long story short, like a very highly probable and realistic reason is because there is a direct link between understanding how to manipulate the universe and destroying yourself as a society. And that's, that's a nuclear weapon. We've, as a species, uh, as a species we've hit that point. We hit that point in the 50s. And uh, yeah. we haven't blown ourselves up yet. Anyway, that, on the clock, though. Yeah, it's close, right? So... My thing is, I, I think that to have this like power, you should at least like understand this philosophy and understand why we may be alone in the universe to yield such power. And I, I am certain that at least one of the politicians has no idea would have no idea what I'm talking about in the slightest if I brought this up. And, and, and you're not talking about Kanye West when you say that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a scary thought, right?
So yeah, the, yeah, the the nuclear thing it has to be the 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 closest thing we know. It's within our control. Yeah, and then uh, I mean, not to say we don't talk about it, but it doesn't scare us in the way it used to scare us. If you go back and watch that Stanley Kubrick movie, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, you could sense that that movie, which is a which is a, a parody, obviously, but you could sense that that movie is made in a time when people were deadly scared of uh, nuclear bombs, and and people thought, you know, it was uh, essential that we manage our relationship with with Russia, especially, and have spies there, and and that and and our entire defense budget was, you know, our uh, Cold War efforts around the globe to fight communism because we thought that was going to lead to this all-out nuclear war and that was going to end the world. Totally. And it scared people. And they had we had drills in schools and um, that those bombs still exist yeah, in a matter of physical atoms. Like those bombs exist on our planet in the exact same way, in a more so way than they did back then. But it's the, yeah, yeah, far more lethal. But the fear has been reduced by 100x in my estimation. Yeah, to- I think that's totally right. You know, it's like COVID. Yeah, no one cares, cares about it anymore. But now is the time to be scared. <laughs> Apparently, you know, I think it's a st- it's a statistical, I think it's a statistical problem with people not being able to understand small percentage what a what a 10 or 20 percent chance means people think when someone when something has an 80 percent chance of coming true that it's that it's going to come true look at brexit uh not happening or hillary clinton being elected and people don't put any weight on the 15 20 percent they just don't understand what 15 or 20 percent feels like i actually listened to a great conversation with a professional poker player and they and she said that and she's a statistician by by training. And she said that poker helped her understand what 3% feels like, what 10% feels like, what 20%. They have different feelings, but you don't get a chance to test what 3% feels like instead of 7% uh, in our casual everyday life because we are not modeled simulations. Everything just happens once. So I guess my point is, I guess my point is an all out nuclear war might have a 0.2% 0.2% chance of happening in the year 2020, which is extremely small, but it is le- it's more than zero. And we, and we don't, you know, we should plan for those contingencies. Yeah. It's like, you know, it, it'll be the instance where hindsight is not useful. Yeah. We'll be like, Oh man, remember, remember how we were all vibing when we thought the probability was low and like that backfired. So you're not going to be able to iterate. This. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like, it'll, it'll, Oh, looking back on it, we had a ninety-nine point eight percent chance of that not happening. <laughs> yeah, I think I, th- I actually think that the yeah the the fact that we haven't blown ourselves up, I find deeply encouraging from the human level for sure. I mean, how how does this technology exist and we've only used it one time? It blows my mind. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever read Richard Richard Feynman and his like funny book. Um, I don't know if you've read that, but you got you have to be kidding me by Richard Feynman. Whatever, he's a he talks about it after he he helped like design the bomb, or after he helped design it, he would like walk around like laugh at shit. Like he would see like people building bridges and building buildings, and he'd be like, "Why are you doing that? It's just gonna get blown up." Like he was sure that it was all. <laughs> uh, and he talks about yeah. that feeling, and uh, it hasn't happened yet, which is crazy. It's why I, I find that really encouraging, actually. But 
you know, to keep on zooming. That's up. one in the one in the win column for us humans. All right, two more. Let's do a couple quick hitters here. Uh, so this idea that that the existential threat is uh, runaway global warming. Existentially, no, no way, no. Yeah, I think global warming will be little uh, threat to uh, humanity itself, um, but it will almost uh, it will kill off most of the biosphere. Yeah. Ah. We're in New which, which will decrease our, our quality of life. And like we rely on the biosphere to, to consume food and energy. And so wouldn't that, wouldn't that in, in effect lead to a decrease in population? But are you saying it would just be slower and, and, it, would, and it wouldn't result in the total annihilation of, every, of everyone? There might be some uh, drastic you know, mass die-off events produced from it, for sure. But they'll mostly affect uh, impoverished countries, uh, countries with low technology. The rate of it, at least for the foreseeable future, is probably slow enough to where we could use our ingenuity that created the problem in the first place to deal with it from, from like a keeping humanity alive perspective. But the damage is like extreme. It's totally profound. Like it's way beyond what people realize. And the, the, the human's effect on the environment is an ancient problem. It's not a mod- it is, it's been accelerated dramatically in modern times, but it actually started to occur 10,000 years ago with our, um, you know, the agricultural evolution. The main, the main, the punchline being that the biosphere is far more fragile than we realize. Like the, if you look at like human history and how we traveled, migrated originally around the earth, there was massive fauna die-off that matched human travel, human migration, original migration almost perfectly. And it could have been a combination of hunting, but it also looks like in some cases it was micro, micro, microbiology that was lethal as well. Um, like if humanity traveled from like, um, Australia to like New Zealand, there were like fungi and things like that that entered the environment and caused like mass extinctions on New Zealand with the, from the second we arrived. The idea of um, the biosphere is extremely fragile. It's not anything stable at all. And we've, we are definitely um, destroying it. That gets back to um, your point about the AI treating us like the rest of the biosphere, the way we treat the rest of the biosphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the sense that it's unconscious, right? Like, it's not like there were there were definitely instances where we did consciously try to destroy the biosphere, like whaling or some other animal that became valuable, or right. uh, deforestation or deforestation. Yeah. But 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 there are millions. There are, there will be millions of species that will become extinct unconsciously, but as a direct result. Yeah. Um, and I guess, see this, I don't know if this one fits in this list, but here's the last one. So, um, so we end up in a one world totalitarian state that uses computers to control everybody. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So wait, wait, so, so what is the problem? What's the problem here? Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, are we headed towards this? I mean, are we headed towards you know, this one world state where our every movement is tracked and analyzed and 
everyone they know where we are and the computer. But I, you know, I, I, don't, I feel like this one should be left off the list because I do not see how this leads to an elimination of our species. The, the global state thing is interesting to think about for sure because you you got to what are the two possibilities for the future? Let's let's say that it turns out that we're not alone in the universe and we do actually go out and start to have like you know there's a neighborhood. Then what is Earth going to look like at that point? Are we going to enter like intergalactic society as like a um, you know differentiated split up group, um, or, or will we have unity? It's like we were homeschooled and now we're switching schools. You know, I think like some form of unity seems kind of inevitable through technology. I also think that like, and I think I think about this a lot with like cryptocurrency as well. Um, which I think will lead into inevitably happening. It's like there's like this Hollywood idea where the, the global unity is, is created through conflict. And um, like there's like these big wars, a lot of people die. And then like there's like, you know, Hillary Clinton count comes out as like the global. Mars, Mars attacks famously, right? Yeah. Jack Nicholson who dies in the first scene, they blow his head <laughs> off, he's the president. But yeah. <laughs> but in or, or Independence Day is a better example, probably. <laughs> Yeah, so that would be like an alien who's doing it to us. I'm seeing global unity from internal forces, right? So yeah, so we're all we're all on the Bitcoin blockchain, and we have one world state controlled by Chairman Mao of China. Well, so so think this is why I think I like cryptography though, because like so, see, like so the Hollywood version of this story is like there's conflict, and through the conflict there's unity. So you have countries battle, there's a winner, you know, down the line, you know, after the smoke settles, like more times that happens, like the less, less countries you have. And then there's like global unity on some level. That's like the Hollywood version. I think like in reality, it's like way more subtle than that. And it just happens over time. And you don't need these like big violent events to, um, for that to occur. All you need is like technologies and global culture to happen in such a way that the controlling states become meaningless. I mean, we have the constitution, which gives power to the governors. But if you think about like the genesis, of the United States is very divided. Um, and you, you kind of have like this decentralized, you know, government, it, it gets together and, you know, it becomes like, uh, basically like the defragmentation becomes like more, more unity. Like I think currency, like, I think uh, current currents like the cryptography will be very much a driver in that way. In the sense that like a lot of, a lot of like power in the world is run by fiat. Right. And, and due to fiat, um, basically yeah. the, the value of your fiat is based off of how big your guns are in some sense. But, but is like cryptography and global currencies become more prevalent and you need the frequency of interaction with fiat governments goes down, then there may yeah. be a gradual transition to like this global state that happens with no legislative change at all or minimal as legislative change. And then you just wake up one day, like 500 years from now, and the idea of like Canada um, being very different from the United States is absurd. Or, you know, maybe that happens mm. at the level. Um, so, so yeah, so I guess, like, that's how we get to the global state. Um, what was the initial question? Like, AI taking everyone out? Yeah, so the global state thing, I think on some level is, like, inevitable. And it sounds like you're hopeful. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's strange because 
Yeah, it definitely. I mean, this was the promise of Bitcoin two years ago when, when we thought, yeah, that the fiat currencies were falling. Coming out of the global financial crisis, it seemed like the U.S. dollar might lose its status as the reserve currency for the world, and the banks were going to topple one by one, and they were going to fall over like a like a domino set. And you know, now it seems like we have sort of like this partnership unity sort of between these the the yes, sort of crypto space and the fee and the fiat world. I think the big the biggest thing I look out for in life in general is false dichotomies. I think that the entire world gets hung up on these things. Whenever you see like, you know, that situation you just described where um, fiat's gonna be destroyed by crypto and they can't live together. Yeah. This or that. Or it's like you have to be this or that. There there is it's almost nothing in the universe that operates like that. Everything always becomes like a, a, a blend and gradual. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, what you're seeing now is like, a, yeah, that's what's happening. Is in, Instead of there being like this huge conflict between the two, which I'm sure that some people would like to see happen, myself included, maybe a little bit. <laughs> it's actually like a partnership that is occurring hopefully that isn't corrupted and uh there's big mutual benefit maybe in the end i'm, I'm not sure yeah I, I feel like that one that one's low on your list too um yeah i'm in the last couple of questions here i've also taken up a ton of your time so well, um, i walked off like my whole night dude because i i had no idea what this is gonna be like so i just completely cleared my mind these two questions are related do you think let's start this one do you think it's limiting that Silicon Valley is broadly this like left-wing ideology on cultural and social issues, gun control, gamers, death penalty. They're definitely very liberal on other areas. They're more libertarian uh, text generally opposed to like government intervention. Um, But my basic question is like, is it bad that we have this like official religion of Silicon Valley? And if you believe anything differently that, uh, you're sort of a, an outcast. Yeah, I, I think it's extremely bad. I think it, and I think it's the, the the same reason that why like communism fails. You can't have you, you can't have monoculture. It, it, mono monoculture at its root level is destructive. And I think that the this is the the greatest existential threat to Silicon Valley. And I think that the the conversation of it um, and people becoming aware of it is encouraging. I think, and then yeah. that um, if, if you've been, if you've paid attention to what happened at Coinbase recently, I think that he answered the call. And um, so, I don't know. If what I have been, I have been reading into that. Yeah, I have been, I have been following that. Yeah, sorry, cut you off. Go ahead. No, it's it's cool. Man. No, I don't know if what he did was like the right way to do it, or even if it was like entirely appropriate. But what I know he did do though is answer the call to this conversation that has been um, happening around around. In 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 at the it seems that in some cases like innovation is um, definitely like the third or fourth thing people are concerned with. Um, when when Silicon Valley itself was um, entirely, it's all it's supposed to be ruthless innovation. That's it. But I think that but I, I had man I oh man I had some deep thoughts about this when I was drunk the other day. Um, <laughs> it was something crazy about. There was some, I, I caught myself thinking about this and I was like, I was like, man, you're such a hypocrite. Uh, because 
it, I think it was something like this. Like you think about like what like Google, what Google did. I think like a lot of this started with like the like. Well, first of all, I think it's all rooted in comfort. If you're not trying to survive, as okay. a, if you're not trying to survive as a company, then all of this stuff becomes like super important, right? When you like when there's like two days left of money in the bank you're trying to innovate yeah. and survive right so you get these like yeah, yeah. decades ago like where like google like makes it and just there's unlimited money scrappy startup um where it started you mean right right so then like they they change like you know the way you think about like hr and then like you have like this free food and you have like all this like crazy comfort that's like internal to the company well that itself is innovative that is, and that that's that is innovative. Yeah. So, so that was WeWork's whole business model, right? Innovating the office yeah, space. So, and they were worth forty billion dollars one day and two dollars the next. Yeah. So for me to say here and say like, well, it's wrong to for companies to, um, oh yeah, this is what I was thinking about this. Like you know, you know, the innovation should be <laughs> for, for for innovation to be separated from um, like civil issues or whatever. And like, and, you know, and we should only focus on innovation. Well, a, comp- a company like Company X, if they do decide to, decide to get political and, and um, enter like the political sphere, well, then that, then that itself is innovative from a company perspective. And it's hypocritical for me to say that, um, you know, that they're not innovating when that, it's, when that itself is innovative because companies don't traditionally do that. So, yeah, I guess like that, that, that was, I feel my, that, yeah. that was like my rebuttal to I, myself when I was thinking about this, but ultimately, I'm, unfortunately, I mean, there's a lot of like really fucked up, you know, shit in the world. And at some point, I guess like you do have to step into it, whether you like it or not. Uh, but, but I do understand the, the other voice in this, which is, um, there is this I, paranoia, I think, happening internally in a lot of places in Silicon Valley where the innovation has actually gone down. Yeah. Or completely yeah. stagnated in some senses. Yeah. Well, we've con- concentrated on the area of bits of data for so long as far as innovation is concerned. And we've ignored all of these other areas. Uh, there hasn't been the same level of investment in the physics and the biology and the chemistries. And we've concentrated on bits of data in a computer for so long. And that's, you know, you can take that so far and Moore's law will continue to exist, but the innovation might have to happen elsewhere for technology to continue to have the growth that it's had for the last 50 years or hundred years. Yeah. You always hear these conversations like, why is the innovation stopped? Like whatever. Well, I mean, that is like such a deep and hard question to answer because how do you even extrapolate it in the first place? Like if you look all throughout human history, what usually happens is like uh, there's like a breakthrough and then an explosion around that breakthrough for like a decade. And then there's like a period of time, maybe some lower like innovation, I guess. And then it happens again, like over and over again. So to just say like, to just like, just say, hey, we're going to innovate next year. Man, that's like a crazy statement. Like, what does that even mean? Is there something to innovate on? You know, I think innovation is rooted in being collaborative, whether um, you're cognizant of it or not. 
So you need to have, yeah. you need to have like this, you, you, we, yeah, we should definitely be pumping like all of our resources into like discovery and uh, develop like fundamental development. That's where the, the brain yeah. comes through. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it probably starts at the educational level, STEM programs and all this kind of stuff and incentives for them to pursue that instead of like another person just going to school for a uh, computer software or data science and then ended up at Google and uh, their innovation might occur on the uh, <laughs> on the enterprise level, but not on the fundamental level. Yeah. 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 Well, we got a few minutes left here. Last last question. What's your view on censorship and media, Twitter, for example? I think that the penalty gained by not censoring is far less than the penalty gained by censoring. I think that... Explain what you mean by penalty. Uh, like the, if you were able to calculate the total negativity brought to the earth by, by censoring versus the, the, the total negativity brought by not censoring, I think that, you know, clearly not censoring is the way to go. Like, like it is the fundamental insight of the United States itself, for sure. Now, I'm going to challenge you here for a second. Um, you're proposing to me a dichotomy, right? Isn't, there must be some middle ground between full-on non-censorship versus full-on censorship. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What would be like a solution to that? No, that's like a crazy... No, a solution. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm challenging your... I mean, you can't yell... The classic example, you can't yell fire in a crowded building, right? Like, we have free speech, but you still can do these certain things. So uh, uh, it's, not, like, it's, not all or, it's not all or nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. These uh, the lowest common denominator type situations, like, that's... Yeah, that's not what I'm getting at. It's, it's like if you, if you have a structured thing, I mean, today we don't have it. If you think about it that way, you can't say like, you can't incite violence. That's against the law. You can't say right. like, there's things you can't say, right? That's yeah. There, yeah. There's some, there is some line in the sand, but when you say like censoring to me, it's an, it's an idea based thing. It, it, it's around ideas. So if, if I, I should be able to come up with like any idea possible. And I, and I should be able to disperse it no, no matter what it is. You can't, the, the slope of, uh, of where that goes with any kind of censoring is, 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 is dark quickly. These platforms that were created, albeit through oh, like social yeah. media or whatever, they so shouldn't this, have, yeah. they shouldn't feel, dip their hand into those. Yeah. So this is, this is like the whole, does it become a utility thing? Um, yeah. I think I'm in that camp. I think that the, Original technologies, if you think about like the initial telecommunications, like initial power, initial, um, you know, these very like rudimentary th things that used to be very rudimentary, they all crossed over. At some point, they were deemed so valuable to society that they became public or at least partially public. This is like the crossroads that we're at with Twitter, for example. And I think it is, it is time to step in and um, create protectionary regulation, not, um, not like censorship regulation, if you know what I mean. If those two things can be... Yeah, up, you know. protect the idea of being able to voice an opinion of any, of any kind, any idea. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, like with Twitter, this is what everybody's talking about right now, right? Like, 
if you believe the censorship story, n- never mind like anything about Hunter Biden. That's like not even interesting. The interesting part of the story is obviously the censorship part of it. And if it's true, you know, that they did what they did, which it is crazy, man. You, you can't, you can't. And I'm not saying that they did it maliciously. I don't think that like most of these things are malicious intent. Like, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that a lot of evil is malicious in the sense that the person committing it thinks it's wrong. It's just it that- probably an overcorrection from all yeah. the hearings they've had for the last four years about election interference in 2016, right? And then yeah. they're just they're so focused that they overcorrect. It could be for sure, yeah. I think maybe they make it right. I'm just I'm I'm trying to get into why or how they how they mess it up so badly. Yeah, yeah, and maybe maybe like the. Ultimately, to answer this, you would need like access to their whole data set so you could run like statistical analysis and see like, but even that gets a little sketchy because then you'd have to ultimately label things as either left or right, which is subjective a lot of times. So long story short, like this is like one of the, the great insights of the American Constitution this is why that, 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 that piece alone is like unbelievably profound and in, in, in also in the way that it can it echoes forever and you do, and I do I do strongly believe that it was censorship it get, this gets back to like what we talked about with Silicon Valley and innovation in in the strength of a society like you through the struggle of ideas the strength emerges if you manipulate that struggle you will have false strength and when a true test arises, you will not be prepared. You will think you're prepared. And that is like directly related to free speech. You cannot, you, if you manipulate it, we become weak. It's as simple as that. I'm, I'm really glad you brought it around to that. I think that's a, that's a great point. And I'd like to end the discussion there, if you're okay with that, because I think that really rounded it, that really rounded everything out that we, uh, that we touched upon. I'm super stoked you're doing this, dude. Like, Dude, there's just not enough creation, man. Like, it's so cool. For sure. Um, yeah, I'll keep continuing it. I think I picked the NFL as a starting block because I think that it's like the lowest common denominator for most people. And I think that we can all jump off of something that like, you know, millions of people watch every week. Everyone has some idea of that. And then we can, and then we dive into the really fun subjects afterwards. But Sick. Um, I'm going to end there.